This morning we're going to do an unusual thing. In fact, in all of your life schedule, I don't think you do this anywhere but church. Now, let me make an exception to that statement, even though I just said it. There are times when we do gather for the purpose of remembering a death at a funeral. We remember the one that's deceased, but regularly we don't meet again to say, let's remember the death of our friend. In a time of memorial like 9-11 or Murrah Building, the families of those who were killed will gather and they may read their names. And they may pause a moment and remember the horror of that day, but they don't talk about specifically each person's death. Death is a strange thing. It makes us think of odd things, bad things. Most people, given their choice, wouldn't say, please let us talk about death today. In fact, the one thing that people we dread to do, and that's not my opinion, it's statistically true, people delay as long as possible, writing a will, working on a living trust, finding a burial plot and paying for it, because we're afraid if we talk about it, we'll think about it, and we think about it, we'll be morbid. Death evokes things like grief and shock if it was a tragic death, pain and loss if it was a close friend or death, and sorrow either way, because we're going to miss the one who's gone on before us. And sometimes in times of death, people do very strange things, both during that time, during the funeral, there are people that sometimes react in very unexpected ways because they just can't handle grief. And then sometimes in their wills, people have done very strange things. Leona Helmsley, one of the great wealthy people of the early part of the 21st century, 2007, she died. If you were around then, remember the name Leona Helmsley. 2007, when she died, she left $12 million to care for a Maltese dog named Trouble. Fortunately, her family had that modified and gave most of the money to her children and grandchildren, and the dog lived happily ever after with a lot less. Henry Houdini left the message for his wife on the anniversary of my death. I want you to hold a seance. They were not Christian. I want you to hold a seance, and I'm going to contact you, and I'll do it each anniversary thereafter. After 10 years, she quit calling because he wasn't ringing the phone. Poe, Edgar Allan, a weird duck, prominent poet, great writer, but dark individual. During, after Poe's death for 70 years beginning in the 1930s, somebody would come every year at his birthday in January, and they could see him. They had people that witnessed seeing him, had a long back black coat and a broad brim black hat, white scarf. He'd always bring a bottle of cognac, and he'd open it and toast himself at the grave of Poe on his birthday, on Poe's birthday. He'd leave the bottle and the glass and three red roses. He did that for 70 years, and suddenly on the 200th anniversary of Poe's death, he quit coming. That's strange. There's strange things that death does to people, but did you know this morning when you come to the Lord's table, do you remember what Paul said the purpose of this gathering is? May I read it to you found in 1 Corinthians. If you want to turn with me in your Bible, feel free. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me read you what Paul said of the reason for us being here. Here's what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. For I received from the Lord, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took bread he gave thanks and broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, how are we to remember him? He's going to explain it, Paul will, in verse 26. As often as you eat this bread 
and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus said, remember me in this body. This wafer is my body offered for you in death. Remember this cup as the blood of the new covenant which offers you in death. And every time you do this, you're making a proclamation. That's why you don't want to eat this and drink this if you're not a Christian. You can't proclaim what you don't know. You can't, uh, you, you can't confess what you don't possess. If you don't know Christ, you can't declare it through these symbols. He said, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim, you proclaim, katangelo is the word. In the middle, that's the word angel, K-A-T-A-N-G-L-L-O, angel. You become a messenger to declare Jesus Christ died for me. You said, goodness, I don't know that I wanted to come today. I didn't come to think about death. Why in the world would Jesus, the Lord of life, the one who's so filled with joy, why would he say, remember the cross, remember our death? Well, first of all, because sin made us the enemy of God. And the cross restores us to friends of God. We were at enmity, distant, cold, distant in rebellion, distant in disobedience. And the Bible says the cross brought us back. Sin causes a person to live outside the will of God. When you lived outside the wishes of your parents, the fellowship in your household was strained. If you live without the regulations, outside the regulations, your company, they're going to come talk to you. If you live without the legal laws of speed, of, of, of a speed limit, somebody's going to eventually pull you over and have a conversation. Because the minute you cross over, you have violated the law, and that makes you not a friend of the company or of the family at that moment because you're not honoring your family and not a friend of the community because you could kill somebody speeding. When we cross the law of God, we become his enemies. We're not just sort of kind of messed up. We've joined the other camp because there are only two camps, those of the king and those of Satan. Listen to these verses. Book of Nahum chapter 1 says, Our God is a jealous and avenging God. He is our Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. He reserves wrath for his enemies. You ever seen God develop a tornado? You ever seen a tsunami? You ever seen a lightning strike that burned up an entire forest? You ever seen a volcano erupt? God made all of those. He says, you stand against him. You stand against somebody who's a powerful being. He's not a gentle grandfather. He's a powerful God. He says, listen, he's an avenging God. 1 Corinthians 15 says, the enemy that's going to ultimately be abolished is death. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. Psalm 92 says, behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies will perish. All who do iniquity shall be scattered. James 4, 4. You know what God calls sinners through James writing, the half-brother of Jesus? James grew up in the household of Mary and Joseph. James, brother of Joseph, Jesus, son of God. James 4 says, you adulteresses. God forbid, God forbid anybody here just found out your mate's been committing adultery. But if so, would you say the relationship between those two people would be terribly strained? You know what God calls us when we're not obedient to Christ? You adulteresses, not my word. James said it. James 4, you adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy 
of God. Why do we remember his death? Because we were enemies, and through his death, he paid our penalty that we could return as friends. Romans 5.10 says, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more being reconciled shall we now be saved through his life? Why would we remember the death of Jesus? Because it's right there that my debt was paid and I was reinstated to sonship and fellowship. The Bible says when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show forth his death, proclaim his death till he comes. And then we remember the cross for its power. John R. Stott, one of the great Christians of a previous era, said, The cross shows us how horrible our sin is and clearly demonstrates how great God's love is for us. Would you look in your Bibles with me, Romans chapter 6? I want you to see this for yourself so that you can read it later at your convenience. Romans chapter 6 makes very clear that the cross is what brought us back into fellowship and we honor the cross and death of Jesus through these ordinances of both the Lord's Supper and baptism. Look at Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. Romans 6, 3. Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Ever wonder why Baptists don't sprinkle? Immersion shows that you've been buried, that you died. When you go into that water, you're doing exactly what this is in Romans 6, 3. Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ were buried, baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried. Look at this. When he died, what happened? We died. We were buried with him by baptism into death. In order, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in a new way of life. For if we've been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. What does that mean? We never lost anybody in a baptismal pool and left them at the bottom. Every, we got a 100% recovery rate. Everybody ever went down came back out. That's true of the gospel. Isn't that what he says right there? We've been joined with him in the likeness of his death. Verse 5, we're going to certainly be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. When he went to the cross, he took my sin with him. The Bible says we were crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body could be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to it. Does that mean we never sin? No. That's why 1 John 1, 9 was written, so that if we sin, we confess our sin. If we confess it and say, God, I'm so sorry, I, I'm so sorry, I want to ask you to forgive me, I've grieved your heart, forgive me, then the Bible says he is faithful. I don't think God's a liar. The Bible says he's faithful and just forgive us. That's what he says here. You're no longer a slave to sin. Verse 7, since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. Now, if we died with Christ... We believe we're going to live with Christ because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, no longer dies. Death no longer rules over him. For in that he died, he died to sin once for all. But in that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Why do we preach the cross? It tells us how horrible sin must be for God to put his son through that. But after, after all, isn't that what happens in the world when men sin? We hear so much today about abused children, abused women. What happens when we lose sight of God? We treat people with contempt. 
We hear so much today about horrible violence of beating up terror, uh, uh, terrorists, cutting off heads of people. Awful. What happened? When we lose sight of the Creator, we lose sight of the value of the creation. Here's what he says. We go to the cross because it reminds us how horrible sin is, John R. Stott, and how clearly it demonstrates God's love for us. But then there's a third reason we remember his death. Paul said his death is of first importance. Over the years, not often, but over the years I've had people come and say, I wish you'd just preach something besides the cross. I, you just preach too much on the cross. All I hear about is the cross. Thank you. And no greater honor. The Bible says of Paul, Paul said it's of first importance. It's not a sidelight. It's not a historic moment that should just be occasionally remembered. It's the very intersection of life and death. That's why it's a cross. It's there at the cross that we witnessed our sins being paid at the cross, at the cross where the Savior died. That, that's what we want to remember. That's where I was redeemed. And so we go to the cross to remember it's of first importance. First Corinthians 15, Paul said, what I received, I passed on to you. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Galatians 2.20, it was Paul who said, I've been crucified with Christ. There's the cross. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Second Corinthians 5, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Why do we preach the cross? I can't speak for you, but I preach the cross because I remember every time I come here, I put him there. Some years ago, when The Passion of the Christ was a popular movie in America about the death of Jesus and so very, very, very graphic, there was a lot of backlash from the Jews seeing it as anti-Semitic. You Christians are declaring in a movie theater that we killed Jesus and we, we won't accept that. And there was a great response by the Christian people saying, nobody blamed you. It's my sin that put him there. It's my sin that nailed him to the tree. It's my sin that caused him to go to Calvary. It's my sin that put the nails in his hands and his feet. It's my sin that caused him to take a lash on his back. It's my sin and your sin. You and I crucified him. God crucified him in our behalf. It was our sin. Were it not for our sin, he would not have had to die. If Adam and Eve had not sinned and brought sin in the world, and I had not been complicit to join in their sinning, Jesus would not have had to die. But because I do it willfully and freely, and you do too, I'm not in the list. I'm not in a group where all are righteous by nature. I'm in a room where all are righteous by the grace of God who made us so through Jesus Christ our Lord. Left to ourselves, the first part of Romans is true. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It was Francis of Assisi, a saint of many years before us said demons did not crucify Jesus it's you and I who crucified him and we crucify him still with our love for sin and vice we remember his death because at the cross it was paid in full did you hear when we sang at the outset Jesus paid it all <laughs> some of us live as Jesus paid it some well, now I know he paid some, but he expects this of me. And if I don't do this, I'm not going to get in. You need to read the book again. 
their churches said, now he paid some, but you have to go through water baptism because if you're not baptized, you're not, you're not really going to be saved. Listen, baptism is a picture. The water in our pool, there's nothing holy about it. It's just plain old tap water. It's the picture that has meaning. What, what really saved you? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's no Jesus plus, Jesus and, church and, God and. It's Jesus. Jesus. You remember that old song? Nothing in my hands I bring when we stand before God. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the what? Cross. I cling. I love that old hymn at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Paul would write in the book of Colossians, when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision or your sinful nature, Paul's of those are big words. When you were dead in your sin and you had not yet been circumcised by the grace of God, Jewish entry, a, a male's entry into Judaism was the circumcision of his flesh. But the Bible says when you come to Christ, the old nature is circumcised, cut away. And now you're no longer walking in the flesh. You're now walking by the Spirit of God. Listen to what he said. When you were uncircumcised in your old nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all. Did, did you hear me? Sometimes in the Christian life, there are people who say, I just can't believe Brother Nick, he could really forgive me. You don't know what I did. You don't know what I did. And aren't you grateful? This generation, and that's the next crowd, this generation feels like you just need to tell everything. No, you don't need to. You just get some kind of cheap thrill out of doing so. The Bible doesn't say hang up your dirty laundry so everybody can see it. It says hang up your dirty laundry on the cross so it's now forever hidden in the blood of Jesus. If Christ doesn't cover it, then you and I are of all men most miserable. If God's forgiveness doesn't cover it, then you and I have no business in the church taken of his body and blood because it's a false testimony. The Bible says God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our trespasses. He's, now listen, I love this verse. He canceled the debt of sin ascribed to us in, in the decrees against us. He took it away and nailed the cross. What does that mean? Biblical times, so I'm told. Biblical times, so I'm told. If you had done something grievous... To a businessman or something grievous to a somebody did something for you as people do today and then they don't pay you what they owe you you'd take their name and you'd post it on a public place certainly on your business door post but you'd post, post it on a public place to say nick garland did not pay his bill of whatever this man is a fraud you'd post it publicly and so everybody came in the business say oh i see nick garland did let's see he didn't pay you and then the whole community gets the word out. Boy, I didn't know that about old Nick Garland. Do you see what Jesus said? He took all those sins that were against us. He went to every doorpost. He went to every public place where all of our sins were public knowledge. And on the hearts of our, each of us as our sins were per, forever blaming us and holding us down. He took all of those. And the Bible says he took all those notes of debt and he did publicly display them. He nailed them to the cross. Why? Because then by the blood of Jesus, those are forevermore covered and we have been set free. Ain't y'all debt free? Do you like it? Don't any y'all debt free? 
I'm in the wrong crowd. If you ever get debt free, you'll like it. Because you don't have to wonder, have we got enough money to pay that bill? Can we pay that charge card? Are we over? If you're debt free, you don't have that burden. One of the joys I thank God for you every day is this church is debt free. So when we are battling a budget, can we spend a little more for missions or ministry? Not how in the world are we going to pay the bank? I don't have to wonder how am I going to pay for my sin before God? You know what? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left an ugly crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. This illustration I'm going to close with, it'll go better in this group than the next hour. I'm going to use it both hours anyway. Some of you in this crowd are old enough to remember Southern Gospel music. And if you remember Southern Gospel music, you remember a family named the Rambos. And if you think of the Rambos, you think of a woman named Dottie, I imagine. About 30 years ago or more, Dottie and her family were invited uh, to go to the Netherlands, to Holland. And they were going to do a number of concerts there. They just arrived at the airport. And as you know, when you've traveled overseas, you get a taxi if nobody's waiting on you, get a cab and make your way to the airport, from the airport to the place where you're going to stay. And then somebody comes to get you for whatever venue you're there to serve. And so the Rambos had landed and a young man picked them up, knew who they were, picked them up and was taking them back to the hotel. And they were doing conversational interaction with him, as you do with the person taking you back. And he said, I know you who you are. You're here to do that Christian concert. And he named the hall. They said, yes. So well, I want to tell you one thing. Don't sing about the cross over here. That, our people find that gory, not good. Well, I mean, they're thinking, what do you mean don't sing about the cross? What do you mean don't sing about the cross? We're going to talk about the sins we have and the glory of Jesus and what he did for us and how he died for us. And so I'm just telling you, don't sing about it. So, Donnie, you mean you're telling me? That people over here have told you to tell us not to sing about the cross. He said, I'm just telling you. He said, she said, I'm gonna, I'll make you a deal. I'll pretend I didn't hear you tell me that. And you don't tell anybody you did tell me that. And we'll see what happens. And she got to that concert hall, she and her family. And they sang about the cross and testified of God's salvation. And people were wiping tears and raising their hands and moved in spirit. She got back to the hotel room afterwards. She said, during the concert that night, we did sing songs that told of Christ's gift of life for us and how he went to the cross and died in our place. People in the audience were weeping. Even the man who sent the message that we were not singing about the cross was found wiping tears from his eyes. We went back to the little hotel that evening and went to bed. I couldn't sleep. I lay there in the darkness, began to weep, said, God, I, I apologize. I apologize. We've come to the point we wouldn't want to hear about the blood of Jesus and the, cry, and the cross and all of his grace. I really am so sorry. And as I lay there, the Lord began to give me a song, and I dozed off thinking about it. In the morning, I took my instrument and discovered that the song had not been erased from my mind as I slept. And so I wrote it down. And 30 years ago, this is one that I love to hear. I want you to listen to, to it with me right now. It was Paul the Apostle who would write in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know him. That's why we're here, isn't it? I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, that I may be conformed to his death so that somehow I may attain to the resurrection. 
Lord Jesus, I fear that sometimes we forget the price paid, that we have the privilege to be called the sons of God, and indeed we are. That's not bragging on us. That's kneeling at the foot of the cross with grateful tears. Why you loved us so much, I don't know. Why you offered your life for us as a ransom, I'll never know. But I'll forever be grateful you chose to do so. You came for us while we were still sinners. Today, I pray as we eat this bread, we'll be mindful the sins of the world were laid on the body of Jesus. And when we drink this cup, we'll be mindful there was only one sacrifice. One sacrifice that could possibly pay for the sins of the world. You knew that was you. And you did it for us. And we will be grateful unto the age of the ages and sing forever our glory in the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Deacons, would you come forward? Paul said by doing what we're about to do, we are proclaiming, showing forth the Lord's death till he comes. The Bible teaches that the sins of a man had to be placed on somebody else lest he pay for them himself. In the Old Testament, a father would put his hands on the head of a sheep, a lamb, and that picture was the sin is now transferred and the lamb's going to die. So before I read this text or pray for us and read this text, I just want to ask one question as you hold this small wafer unleavened, showing it's sinless, uh, symbolic of being sinless. It's, if it's big enough, you can see the stripes on it where it bakes, showing by his stripes we were made whole. Two people, two people don't hold your sin. Either you hold them or you transferred them. If you eat this bread and you're still hanging on to your sin and not trusting Jesus, you're given a false testimony. You say, he didn't die for me. I, I, can't, I can't accept that. Well, then please don't eat this bread because if you do, you eat condemnation. You're telling something's not true. If you say, Brother Nick, I know that I can go to the cross and see my sins were paid there. It was there I was set free. When I eat this bread, I'm mindful of the price that he paid to let me be his child forever. And so I'm not eating this bread unworthily. I'm eating it with great gratitude. Father, in just a moment as we take this bread, we remember the body of our Lord. Goodness, what a beating and what a crucifixion horror he was. That's the way the world treats men, leaves them beat up and strung out and hurting and dead. That's what sin does. But thanks be to God, you're the author of life. And when you come, you healed up the brokenhearted and mend up the wounds and you help those who are hurting. You cause us to walk again and have sight again and hearing again and abundant life again and eternal life. And so we thank you that you are willing to take all the sins of the world on yourself, that the likes of us, by trusting Jesus fully, could go free. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says, Paul would record, that on the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said to his disciples, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In our culture, we hear from time to time there's a blood drive 
Red Cross or some other group is saying, would you please give your blood? Well, they mean, would you give some of your blood? We could help others. I saw a poster recently, a blood drive, that said, please give blood and help someone be whole again. When I read that, I thought, that may be true physically, but I know somebody who gave his blood so we could be whole again forevermore. I don't like being bloody to you. When I scratch or scrape or cut myself, I want immediate remedy. Jesus didn't have anybody calling 911 or EMTs. He shed his blood for us because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, all those notes on the cross of our sins would not have been covered. It says by the, without the shedding of blood, there's no covering, no remission, no covering for our sin. And so when he died on the cross, he covered every one paid in full. We sang at the start, free at last. And so when you drink this cup, you're saying, I have enjoyed the fellowship with Christ because of what he did for me. I'm free in him forevermore. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you today for the grace that makes Christianity possible. I don't know why you destroyed people in Noah's day and gave us an option of redemption. I don't know why you destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and you show mercy on America. You're a mystery to us. But I know that your mercy is not forever patient and judgment one day will come. But we've already been judged in in those who are in Christ. We were found guilty. The cross was the payment for the sins that we deserve to pay for ourselves. You did it for us. Thank you. You didn't do it in an easy way. You did it the way it was required by law, that there had to be the shedding of blood, and you did it with your own blood. So, therefore, you're our sacrifice as well as our priest who's interceding on our behalf. Thank you. Thank you for making it possible for us to be made whole through the blood of Jesus and that we are now your children forevermore. In Jesus' name. Amen. In the same way, Jesus also took the cup after supper. And Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.